to this evening's Connect All conversation. This is, um, I think, our sixth, it might be our seventh conversation on regenerative culture and regenerative business now. And this evening, I'm really delighted to welcome some amazing women to talk about regenerative leadership. And I'm going to ask them all um, to introduce themselves in a little second, but I thought um, i just start with um, a little bit of landscaping for us because um, I think we are at a time now when um, the world is at a very critical point. There's an enormous amount of things going on in the world which is undermining um, our ability to move forward into the future um, with a sure sense that humanity will continue to thrive and all life on the planet will continue to thrive. And I think we need to look at a completely new way of bringing leadership into the world at the moment. And just this last week, as I'm sure we've all seen, there have been fires from the, in the Amazon, in West Africa. Um, we are continuing to see crazy extreme weather events. Only yesterday in Madrid, there was amazing hail and rainstorms. Po politics is polarizing more and more with every single day that passes. Um, I won't mention the T word or the B word for anybody who's tuning in from the US or from the UK. Um, and, and I think what's driving these changes and this confusion that we're experiencing at the moment is a sense of the, the world that we have all known and that we have understood and that we have grown up in is dying and something new is trying to be born at the moment. That st old story we understood so well, even on an individual level, we, you know, for me personally, I'd be born, I knew I would go to school, I knew I would study, I knew I'd go to university, I knew I'd get a job, I knew I'd retire, and I knew I would die. Um, but even those foundational stories are kind of disappearing from underneath our nose. And that means that there's very little that's certain in the world at the moment. And an uncertain world needs a particularly new kind of leadership. So we shaped the question that we want to explore today around co-creative, collaborative leadership for a very simple reason that you know, we face some massive systemic issues in the world at the moment, and we're not going to solve any of those uh, as single countries, as single companies, as single teams, or as single people. So co-creative, collaborative leadership seemed the right way in which to shape this important conversation. So now I'm going to ask my amazing guests to introduce themselves and say a little bit about what they see coming into the world from a point of view of co-creative collaborative leadership and uh, their viewpoints. And, and then we're off into our conversation. So um, Isabel, you're on my screen. So I'm going to ask you to speak first. Okay, thank you, Jenny. So I'm in Totnes in Devon in Southwest England. And my work's very much about um, helping a region become climate resilient. So that means looking at all the possible impacts of climate change on our place, on farming, on fishing, 
on industries like tourism, but also on communities, like how are communities going to feed themselves? How are we going to travel around? We have big storms battering our coasts now in the winters. Sometimes they wash our railway line away. So we've got big challenges ahead. And in terms of co-creative leadership, yes, I, it's very exciting to be part of quite a few groups now around the world that are coming together in networks to explore what this means. And they're bringing their expertise and their own kind of passion for making change happen. But it's also a huge realization that we're all learning as we go. We don't, we've never been here before. We don't have the tools. We are helping each other, supporting each other, figuring it out, sometimes kind of conflicting a bit because some people are passionate about doing it one way and other people another way. But what you were saying, Jenny, earlier about it needs to going to take all of us working together. We believe that very strongly here at the Bioregional Learning Centre in South Devon. And so our role is really to kind of become the glue that holds it all together. And I think that's the challenge to kind of, you know, face into the future, remain strong in the face of all the challenges ahead and do that kind of connecting, enfolding, supporting, encouraging thing. That's, that's, you know, that's so true. And I think really something that we spoke about a lot when we, when I met you earlier in the summer, um, who'd like to go next? My name is Michelle Holliday. I'm in Montreal. I'm originally from the US, but I've lived here for about 15 years. And for about 20 years, I've been focused on inviting people into uh, stewardship of life, inviting people into that emergent story that you were describing, Jenny, moving away from a story of uh, domination and separation and uh, a mechanistic world into one in which we recognize our participation in patterns uh, and, and characteristics of, of life, of living systems, and in which we recognize that our organizations and com our communities are also living systems. So uh, I, I refer to a term uh, thriveability to distinguish in part between uh, sustainability, which, which seems not to be enough, not to be enough of an invitation into aligning with life, life's natural patterns, and, and setting our sights on thriving, on the ability for life to thrive, contributing to life's ability to thrive at all levels, for individuals, for organizations as living ecosystems, for communities, for the biosphere. So this is my, my focus. Um, it's really an invitation to all of us, as, as Isabel and Jenny both have pointed out, that it's going to take all of us, given the, the circumstances that we face as a species, all of us to contribute, all of us to collaborate. And so um, this is my interest and passion for co-creative leadership and, and really stewardship going beyond the, the simple model of leaders and followers to creating the conditions for everyone to contribute um, to a, a shared cause. Yeah, I think, I think that's the, you know, that's the really interesting shift, isn't it, is, is moving away from that model of leadership that we know from you know, decades of command and control, but not having uh, a story or an image in front of us for what it, what co-creative, 
collaborative, what a different kind of leadership even would look like. And Anna Lois, we, I was just on a webinar, in fact, earlier today with Anna Lois, and I had to hop out to prepare for this one. Um, you know, and I think you touched on that yourself in your webinar too. That's right. Thank you so much. So yes, my name is Annelou Smitsman. I'm phoning from Mauritius. That's a very small island. So when we're talking about climate change, we feel it first here. And that um, also gives a very different perspective um, of the world. So a lot of my work is around deep transformational change, both in terms of the systems that we create and have designed, but also in terms of our consciousness journey. So what does that deeper systemic transformation look like uh, within ourselves? And, um, and what are the different barriers, systemic barriers that we also need to be aware of? So my commitment of focus is really that transition to a flyingability civilization that Michelle so beautifully uh, explained as well with the focus really on our ability to thrive. And that if thriveability is the focus, then we need to really focus on life because that uh, ability and that wisdom is intrinsic to life. And you know, Jenny, I really love these questions that you're asking us about. What's this new form of leadership that's emerging? Uh, what's the role of co-creation and collaboration in that? And I like to take that deeper because um, I've seen that a lot of conversations um, that we see around co-creation, collaboration, as those words are not new, are often about how do we collaborate more together, co-create more together to be more successful or be more effective or be more impactful. But I feel what you're hinting to and when you're asking us to explore is deeper than that is saying there is a deeper impulse that is rising. There's something else that's emerging to us uh, through the feminine wisdom and feminine leadership forms. And it's now how we co-create and collaborate from that emerging impulse. And that impulse itself is really life emerging to all of us um, to inform us uh, of other possibilities and to also ask us to, you know, to be aware of what are the attitudes, what are the behaviors, what are the values that we carry through in that process. So that we, when we are co-creative and collaborative, we are co-creative and collaborative with that potentiality for our collective vulnerability. Uh, precisely at this point, um, when the tendency to, as she said, journey to divide, to polarize and to collapse is almost at its peak. So I think it's no coincidence that when we see on the one hand, this tendency to divide, to fragment, to polarize rising, at the same time we see the rise of something else. And this is what's amazing about our circle here that we can explore. What's that something else that's emerging at the same time? How by conscious, being conscious of that, bringing that into the circle, co-creating and collaborating with that, does that now become stronger and our focus? Yeah, you know, it, that, that is so spot, spot on because it, I experience this like a surge. I experience it like a surge coming up through my feet. It's an energy and I would describe it myself um, with a bit of background in psychology as a, a very feminine psychology. So it's not a gender oriented energy that we see emerging. It's not that it's specific to women, although we'll come back and talk about that a bit because I see women, more women able to channel this kind of energy currently than I do see men, but it's perfectly accessible to men as well. 
but it is a, a deep surge in the values and the expression that comes through a more connected feminine psychology than it is the masculine psychology that has dominated the last however many thousand years of how we designed our societies. And I think that's the fundamental shift uh, that we that, that needs to change to allow this new energy to emerge. And then I think we'll become unstuck. We'll, um, we'll pass through this frozen stuck period and we'll be able to imagine what the future needs to be. So um, Anna, let me ask you, how do you experience you know, co-creative and collaborative leadership and this new energy merging in your field because you're in the field of tourism, which uh, might be accused as being one of the least regenerative industries that we know. Yes, and, and well, good evening, everyone. Um, yes, I'm Anna Anna Pollock. I, I, my company is called Conscious Travel. And for the last 10 years or so, I have been trying to um, encourage the, the tourism sector, which is intrinsically conservative, to um, wake up to the various changes going on around it and uh, their effect on, on the way that they can conduct themselves. Um, we are particularly affected clearly um, by climate change. We're both a contributor to that, but um, there's going, it's going to create enormous uh, instability in, in the marketplace that I think a lot of people I encounter every day are quite oblivious to. At the moment, it's, it's actually facing the problems of its own success because we have this tsunami of demand for tourism, which continues seemingly unabated. Um, and as you say, we've, we've had at the destiny, well, in terms of its structure, I mean, first of all, it's called an industry, but it isn't, it's really a network. Uh, there is no leadership, no one can control it, you can't put a few business people into a room and make some decisions and have an impact. Um, but nevertheless, uh, it's very hierarchical in terms of geography. So we have national and regional and local um, tourism organizations that control budget, they have money. So therefore it, it tends to reinforce that. So command and control, um, my, you know, the destination is responsible for the, for the strategy and executing it and people are used to um, basically performing it. So um, there's, it's, in that sense, it's been rigid. Um, it's also now just beginning to understand that it, it is actually not a nice, green, clean, green service industry. It's an extractive industry. So it's facing a lot of changes. And actually what I see that is happening is, is almost paralysis. Um, you know, it's like these are deer caught in headlights. But the, the key thing that uh, is starting to emerge, of course, is a recognition that unless we are working with the communities that host the visitor, from an over-tourism point of view, um, and unless we are active at the local level in, our, in either becoming more climate resilient, um, as Isabel is saying, or um, able to start to make an impact, so that the, there, is a, there is going to be a very significant sort of power shift taking place that, you know, into the community level. And, and that's why I'm really ex excited. It's very latent, it's very early stages, um, but I see 
as communities are becoming activated, um, you're automatically getting a degree of collaboration. And the feminine aspect of it is, is I think, quite interesting because traditionally women have always been tied to base, as have hosts in the tourism industry. You, you are tied to base because you're raising children, you're tied to base um, you know, just by the nature of, of life, and you're used to building community. Um, whereas a lot of uh, men went out to do things. And what I'm seeing happening now um, but it's not called necessary regenerative or co-creative or collaborative leadership, is a recogni recognition that the, the women in the community can play a role now in pulling people together because that's what they've always had to do. Um, they've always been on the receiving end of things happening to them rather than initiating, and I think that's why women have such a, an important role to play. Uh, you know, I think you've raised a couple of really fascinating, you know, points there is, uh, is the, you know, I think what you've described in your industry is something that people would recognise in almost any industry or any system um, that, you know, we're all working in at the moment, this kind of sense of being frozen and being stuck, which uh, for me, I've experienced since 2008, when we first you know, when we first really worked out that the marvellous neoliberal story that we've all been living to post-Keynesian economics um, actually doesn't work and we've stitched it back together again um, to, to, whilst we're still waiting to try to work out what is going to emerge next and, and, and no one knows. And, you know, there is this horrible sense of uncertainty um, I think, and I think the other thing that is really important that you mentioned there in terms of thinking about regenerative design is, and leadership is that it's bringing both place and people together. Oh. It's not just about um, the inner work of an individual, it's also about connecting that to a sense of place, which I think is, is really important. But, you know, so I, I wonder why is it, do you think, that we're finding that, that kind of co-creative collaboration other than a sort of superficial level where you, you say, let's get together and see if together we can be more successful. So in the business world, we might see um, Adidas working with Parlay for the Oceans to reclaim plastic from fishing nets and make more shoes out of the reclaimed fishing nets. That's the co-creative collaboration that exists in the world today, but it's not transformative. Um, so, so why do we find it so hard? What have, what have your experiences been as leaders yourselves, um, you know, when you've encountered difficulties? You know, I, I wonder if you could speak to that a bit, Isabel. Thank you so much, Jenny. What you said about people and place really resonated for me because my experience is that change only happens in place. And when we talk about regeneration, we're not just regenerating the place, we're regenerating the people. So we're always looking for potential in both place and people together. And again, not doing things to place or people, but kind of enabling that kind of intelligence of the place and intelligence of people to come forward. So um, here in South Devon, 
we have um, many amazing people who are very passionate about doing something about climate change. We also have some very traditional industries like hill farming and fishing and the kind of businesses that we see around here as well that have been going for many of them for a very long time. So there is this whole work that will always, I don't know if it's easy for women to hold all these different tasks simultaneously, but I find myself going to have meetings with a farmer and we end up talking about preparing for hurricanes in the future and where you put the, the slope of the roof and do you put it kind of behind the revetment of the, of the bank? How do you do that? So it's quite interesting how every time I go and think I'm having one kind of conversation, it kind of slides into a different conversation. And I think that is part of the territory. So being able to hold all these different responses, so responses which can be very, um, you know, completely disbelieving or aggressive or blocking on the one hand, and then kind of finding one's way around that, finding what people makes people come alive, speaking to that, also then kind of going into that realm of saying, well, we're all in this together, let's try and work out how to do it together and kind of calming fears about the future. So I, yeah, I think that could be a kind of a feminine, nurturing, holding, encouraging, quality that one can bring as a woman to that kind of a challenge and I'm interested to hear what my colleagues on the call think about that. Who wants to go? Well in a sense I will for a second, sorry Michelle you go. That we were keeping it in order. <laughs> so I'll, I'll just comment briefly. Um, Isabel you're reminding me of a, a piece I wrote about um, keepers of the fire and women's traditional role, though it, it's available and accessible to, to anyone. And, and fire as a, a powerful symbol of transformation. So there's this historical context, uh, and yet um, fire exists within the home uh, and we have this concept of hearth and home. And so there's this paradox that we have to be in a, a place where we are welcomed and safe and accepted as we are, even as we are invited into transformation. And so that's a, it's a tricky balance to, to achieve. Um, there's, let me let me pass it over to Anna and then see if I have some yeah. Well, Anna, Anna Lewis, if we're going in order. <laughs> okay. No need to go in order. Nature is not orderly. No, we can I have a little disorder. No, that's fine. I, I, I will butt in then because I'm so excited because this is what I was trying to articulate in a sense, is uh, that change is going to happen uh, on the ground, as it were, in place. You know, when we start talking about collaboration between the big in multinational companies, I don't see that as transformative at all. I don't see the role in the future that, that the power will not be in that in that concentrated um, multinational space. I think it's the, the real um, response to all of these changes and events and how we survive first and then thrive is going to be because we have a strong uh, rootedness um, in, in, in our own places. Uh, a strong, uh, a fiery almost affection um, and love of it that we wish to protect it and an, an awareness of where it too is, is suffering and, and we can then take, take good care of it. Um, and that's what I was trying to say. I think that that is where 
Um, women also provide, um, they keep everything going in times of stress because they've always had to. They haven't had the option of, you know, I'm going to go off now and hunt my saber-toothed tiger and have a bit of fun with the boys. It's, you have to keep doing those, those tasks every day. Um, and it's this idea also of, I love the, the, the importance of hearth. In fact, I was talking about that even today. Um, providing that sense of, um, it's, it's more than comfort. It's comfort and, and, and belief, confidence that, you know, by, by working with one another, um, we can make this happen. And, and I've discovered in my work that the more I talk about what's, what's wrong, um, the more people turn off, they, they can't cope because nobody's presenting them with, but we can do this. So when I start talking about project drawdown and things like that, and it is possible to reverse the situation we're in, but we have to take small steps now, then people start to, you could just see the energy lift. And I think that's a role that we can play. I think that's, um, you know, that's a really interesting observation about that the, the, the transformative energy is not going to come from corporations, but rather from, you know, coming from, from, from place. Because um, that kind of sort of, I'm not sure that's a natural segue into what uh, you were talking about earlier, but, um, you know, is, is that sense of place, that sense of being rooted is very, very connected to, um, to you know, to, na to nature and to life systems. You know, and I, I wonder what, what it is that, you know, each of you maybe sees in yourself in terms of qualities that you bring that are reflective of those, you know, precious principles of how life actually does this. You know, that might, might, might sound like a torturous question, but as you were talking about it earlier, Anna Lois, I'm going to pick on you. <laughs> I love that. Well, that maybe is also an opportunity to unpack the word transformation a little bit, and that will bring me yeah. then right into those personal policies in the feminine as well, yeah? Um, so transformational change, and I'll approach that more alchemically, because in alchemy, you, you always work with three elements that you put to the mix. Uh, and there's a process of dissolution, uh, the burning of the old, and you enter the new element into them. And then also what you're doing in the third element is that you're, you're kind of marrying that um, soup of, of compost uh, into new principles so that it really, truly can transform. And what we're seeing in the feminine wisdom is that the ancient symbol for transformational power within the feminine is, is the dark goddess. It's the dark feminine, it's the womb wisdom. And, and I've actually, this is also an invitation to us as women to deepen that aspect within ourselves because I've seen a lot of women being really, really busy, always ready with answers, ready with strategies, ready with practice, doing, 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 doing. But you know, if you want to have the deeper transformational change, then there needs to be a process also of going into the darkness. And in our societies, that darkness, um, that womb space, that not knowing, um, that invisibility in many ways is, uh, has been stigmatized. You know, I had a fascinating conversation with my friend and colleague, Dr. Jude Carafin, and we're talking about the cosmology of how does our universe uh, bring itself forth? How does it actualize? He was, he was sharing, you know, the, the masculine journey of that cosmology I can map out. I can explain to you very well 
how uh, it came from the, the, the original complexity to growing increasing complexity and giving rise to the material worlds that we know. But the feminine story of that, um, and which is a deeper story about how does life now stay in touch with itself as it grows uh, in increasing complexity? Um, how does that informational content about all these different systems now reintegrate back to itself? How does it remain unified? That story hasn't really been given much language at all. So the, 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 and, and we've been looking for that structure and that coherence very much in the masculine, in the what's out there in the light and what I know, and what we can see when we explore this cosmologically um, is that that deeper coherence isn't there. It's actually in the sacred darkness, you know? Um, and, and we haven't been looking in those places. So I think if we as, as women, and as women, we, we hold that really beautifully uh, within our own bodies if we're in tune with that. So if we bring forth that aspect uh, of the deep feminine wisdom, then maybe we can also support a much deeper transformation of our societies. That's I'm going to jump in there. Yeah, Can I jump in there? Because I'm so excited by what Annalise is saying. And thank you so much. I, my own personal practice, grounding myself in place and going into that deeper feminine wisdom is absolutely invaluable to me. I couldn't do the work that I'm doing without that. So I'm completely wholeheartedly with that. I'm also um, thinking of the science of living systems tells us that living systems are all about flows and relationships. And I do think that um, having brought up children, having kind of run a family as it were, and that kind of a demand that one gets to pay attention to everything, you know, you kind of, you hold everything in your head about what the, what the kids are going to have for lunch next day, who needs to pick them up, how am I going to do my work, and my partner needs this. It's kind of, I think it's a feminine quality that maybe we underestimate, but I certainly do that multitasking thing quite a lot. So paying attention to the quality of relationships and the nature of flows. And by the nature of flows, I mean kind of, where is the energy? Uh, where does the energy need to be raised? Where do we need to um, pay attention to where we, maybe where it's spilling over a little bit too much? Uh, it's kind of that moderating quality, which of course, Jenny exemplifies by being a facilitator. It's also facilitating quality between things. So I'm very fascinated by the spaces between things and have been since I worked in the art world and was very interested in the paintings of Vermeer. And Vermeer, a lot of the time, is painting negative space. And I became very interested in what is that negative space? What's, that, what's happening in between these objects? Because it's the beauty of that space and the shapes that that negative space make that are equally alluring. And so I think sometimes I'm paying attention to negative space in my work quite a lot. I, I think that, you know, that very much reminds me of, um, in my, with my kind of slight interest, well, large interest in mythology and psychology of the story of Psyche that I was writing about a couple of weeks ago, because one of the tasks that she gets is sorting the seeds. Um, and and uh, Aphrodite gives her a massive pile of seeds to sort 
um, you know, and in typical fashion, her, uh, her horror, her inability to be able to sort the seeds, um, you know, she wants to commit suicide, she collapses and along comes a, an army of ants to help her sort the seeds. Um, but, but that sorting of seeds, that ability to um, hold the space for many different things going on at once is the essence of complexity. Um, and we're in a very complex space at the moment, I think. So that channeling, lear learning to bring that ability to our sense of leadership, I think is you know, one of the core parts of being able to allow co-creative collaboration to take place. And I, you know, I think I see that happening in your work down in, in, in Devon. It's a, it's a very difficult thing to bring together lots of different stakeholders, for want of a better word, um, to talk about an idea that is essentially unknown. You know, bioregionalism is still a very emergent idea in itself um, when you're talking about that with groups of people who look after water and might be um, managing housing development and, uh, you know, might be concerned about the next harvest or where they're going to graze their sheep. It's a big leap to, you know, to ask people to be able to do that. So in a way that kind of regenerative leadership is helping people to sort the seeds I think does that make sense or am I talking out of the the, the back of my head I may well be <laughs> at this stage of the evening <clears throat> complete sense Jenny and I, <laughs> I went a whole lot longer because I know everybody else wants to leap in as well but yes I also love that story of Psyche and the sorting and the kind of the, the winnowing qualities. So there's kind of a difference between discerning and winnowing. So kind of discerning, kind of cutting through a problem and winnowing yeah. is, is this kind of sorting feminine quality that one can bring to an issue. Yeah. So, so what are the kind of, um, what are the kind of qualities and and ways of working, you know, for anybody that is listening who is getting a sense that there's a completely different kind of leadership that we're looking for in the world today. What are the, what other kind of sort of qualities and ways of working should we be thinking about? I can offer uh, my experience as part of a global community of practice called the art of hosting that I think most of you are familiar with, most of my fellow panelists. Um, and the full name is something like the art of hosting and harvesting conversations about things that matter and that lead to lasting change. <laughs> so that's a mouthful to refer to the power of hosting to create the conditions for transformation, really. And, and it, at, at its core, it is not only a collection of practices for bringing people together in conversation, but it's an underlying philosophy and stance of uh, creating the conditions for, for what's alive within a group to emerge, to become manifest. And that's, it, it's, a very different way of, of being, of holding yourself, of, of understanding your role. Um, I would, again, offer the word stewardship as a, a synonym for hosting. And 
I think of stewardship as the combination of reverence and responsibility. Reverence for the complexity and, and really the, the magic and miracle of, of life, of whatever is alive and animating us as individuals and as a collective that is drawn together. So reverence for something that's beyond our control and yet paradoxically a call to care for this system, uh, whether it's a child or uh, a garden or an organization or a community. So this urge and this call to be responsible, able to respond to its needs. And sometimes that does call for discernment and, and sometimes it's a, a winnowing, but um, it's, a, it's quite a different way of being. And I think that calls for those practices of conversation together. We have to be in this exploration together to find new language and find new, new stories, new possibilities. We need each other to, to even imagine what, what else is possible. And I, I think that you, you know, you've brought in quite a few um, almost new kind of archetypal ways of behaving there um, that, that I don't have any names for, but I, you know, I know storytelling is a really important quality. I know that uh, we're talking about co-creative collaboration, um, but I think Anna Lois also um, on the call that you were doing earlier today, um, you know, we were talking about that beyond what we know of psychological archetypes from uh, people like Carl, uh, Jung, um, that you know there there are new archetypes emerging of the kind of people that can be guardians and can be agents of transformation or um, regenerative leaders, if you like, that you've seen emerging in your work. Yes, exactly. And I've been studying that process for a long time when I've been kind of naming or mapping that out, I've been describing them as five kinds of future archetypes that work as one living system together. I'm starting with wholeness coders. These are people who have an understanding of the deeper codes of life and living systems, but really coming from wholeness and have the capacity also to recode a lot of our systems. The other ones are the future creatives who are able to create new possibilities in, in places and in times when everything seems to be collapsing or falling down. This is actually when they get activated. And so not only are they the visionaries and the inventors, but they are also really, really actively create new possibilities by the way that they hold the questions and the perspectives. The other ones are the um, evolutionary catalysts. So when people are maybe going into division and they were going into tension, these are the people that actually right then at that moment get activated to start these generative conversations, to focus on the healing, to focus how we can evolve together, to focus how we can learn. And the other one are the pattern weavers, um, the ones who are not only just interested in, in networking, what's more the superficial part of that, but really saying, you know, how do we weave it the pattern that connects? So how do we weave unity back into our societies? Exactly there where there's division. So these are the weavers that get activated when there is most fragmentation. And then we have the kind of new paradigm storytellers who are bringing forth a whole new story of us. And you see that those get activated exactly when we have all this bad news in the social media and you know people 
have this tendency to to go again into you know complain and blame. Um, so we've been seeing that these kind of five future archetypes are activating, just like we talked a bit earlier before about the imaginal cells for the butterfly body. These future archetypes activating when things seem at their worst, <laughs> and that's. Stop you there and make you tell the story of the imaginal cells because I think that there's something really critical in here that we 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 need to understand about us uh, uh, how we can carry our leadership um, through this period of confusion. So you you you're gonna have to be quick. Because <laughs> okay, I mean, it's a beautiful so. story, but I think we yeah. should have the story. I learned that story from my friend Elizabeth Saturis. So how she described this is that when the caterpillar is eating itself to death, so it's getting bigger and bigger and heavier and heavier, which is very much what we're doing with our world. When it's dying, within the skin of the caterpillar body are living the imaginal discs, which become the imaginal cells of the butterfly. That Those discs have a different DNA than the caterpillar itself. So when the caterpillar is decaying and it starts to form the chrysalis, um, and that's when these act these imaginal discs become activated, and now the caterpillar sees that as foreign uh, and will be firing away with his immune system. But when these imaginal discs start to link up, and that's the critical factor, they need to link up and connect. They then become imaginal cells, and those imaginal cells are like the stem cells, and they then use all that decaying uh, materials of this caterpillar body to form the butterfly. Um, and so this is again this amazing you know, metaphor for us that in what is dying right now, uh, we are also these imaginal cells, but if we want, really want to make it through, we do need to connect the link up, which is where we come back to how you started, Jenny, which is co-creation and collaboration. So for an imaginal disc to make it to an imaginal cell and for that to make it to butterfly, co-creation and collaboration is essential. Perfect. But that you did that really quickly. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm awed by the speed with which you did that. But I, I think we need to have a little um, kind of summary as we go here because we this is such a rich conversation. So you know we're talking about qualities that regenerative leadership needs to look at from not just co-creative collaboration but the ability to hold the space for something new to emerge. You know, we're talking about different kinds of archetypes of people, um, but also that can be embodied in one single person and, uh, and, and, or, and are almost part of the journey of transformation themselves, I think. Um, so what, what, you know, we've missed a huge amount, but is there anything that any of you feel is critical about the practices and qualities um, that we need to bring to regenerative leadership that we have missed out here. Oh, that might be a no. Yes, no, I, I, there's one thing, and that is a much deeper listening than we have than we are collectively doing, because there are signals that are coming through and emerging that are not obvious. And, and we really, and so if you don't get quiet inside, especially in a time of crisis, people tend to get very active and busy. Yeah? And that's when all these other uh, responses are being activated too. So I, I would really say the practice of very, very deep listening 
and receptivity within that listening. And, um, and not to be too quick to form a response, let that listening inform us. So, so that's the practice that I would like to share. Yes. Mm-hmm. Michelle. Yeah, I, would, I would add onto that, the practice of courage, finding whatever methods work to develop the courage to try out new language and new powerful and provocative questions and to be in the conversation with others and exploring what really matters. I find that we we stay on a superficial level when there's so much at stake and and the, the leadership that's needed is really the leadership of courage to ask what matters here? What what is at stake? And what are we being called to to respond with to these times? This is what I would add. Yeah, and I, I think it for me it definitely does start with conversations because as you were saying, Anna, you know, if you're, you know, if within a sector like tourism, um, people haven't even aren't even raising the subject of what is at stake, of what is at risk, um, then you know, conversation. It, as the smallest unit of change is one place um, where it can start and having the courage to hold really difficult conversations. I think, you know, conversations for those big organizations that we don't necessarily see um, as being part of a future in 50 or 60 years time, always supposing we have one, you know, I think um, uh, that question of what's your license to operate in a world that is under existential threat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it is a really, you know, a difficult question to answer for, a, for an organization, for a government, for us as individuals. Um, you know, so I think that, that that ability to host and and hold space for really painful, difficult questions. Um, as well as that new language um, to describe something that none of us has, have ever experienced, I think, you know, is particularly important. And I just want to say to anybody who's listening now, um, we do have a space at the end in about 10 minutes time for anybody who'd like to put questions to any of our uh, guests today. So be thinking up your questions and um, Mara, I'm sure, will look at those in the in the chat and I'll come to those in, in kind of five or 10 minutes time as we come to the bottom of the hour. Um, as we do that, I wonder... Um, you know, if we can all sort of summarize what each of us feels um, needs to happen, what, in what way can we expand this kind of leadership and grow it out in the world? You know, how do we, how do, we do that? What do we call on and what knowledge and resources do we call on to do that? Jenny, I think one of the things I've been um, pondering through the conversation is that in transformative leadership, we are called to transform ourselves and almost to become living examples of what that means, which I think is quite challenging. But if transformative leadership or leadership for transformation is going to carry any credibility, 
I think people need to kind of see us modeling that. And I think the only way we can do that is by supporting each other. I think it's wonderful to be on a call with so many women who are like-minded, who are all wrestling with the same thing. And I'm already feeling really um, emboldened by hearing everybody talk about their own, their own practice. Anna. Yeah, I'm, 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 I couldn't agree with you more. I think right now the, the cauldron image is really powerful in, and Michelle talked about holding space and, and the, the image I have right now is us, us really holding hands in, in a circle, um, metaphorically as well. Um, and, and demonstrating, uh, uh, modeling was something that I, I, I talk about a lot. If we cannot model um, the kind of behavior that's going to help us get through this very difficult period, um, then um, it, this is not time for talk or even um, too many complicated theories. <laughs> um, I was really brought down to ground today, you know, because um, there are, people are at different uh, stages in, in their learning of what's happening, their awareness of what's happening, their ability to articulate it. Um, and this, this, this ability to, to um, communicate uh, with clarity um, in, in a way that empower, uh, I don't like the word empowers, but forgive me, I can't, it's late at night, I can't think of another one, but, you know, I think humanity is going through this. Within each of us are the imaginal cells that can be woken up. In other words, we don't come without them. <laughs> they just may be sleeping. And you know, what is it going to take to, to wake those imaginal cells up and give people a read or an understanding that uh, it's okay. It's almost like it's okay to come out. <laughs> it's okay to step forward because there are going to be people there to support you. Um, so it, you know, that I'm, I'm probably, it's getting later for me and I'm <laughs> not as articulate either, but um, you know, I just feel there's a, also going to be a lot of, I sensed it in the last few days, there's going to be more hysteria. How are we going to cope when this really hits home? Because still vast, vast swathes of the population are unaware of the seriousness of it. We've kept been kept from that. And um, what I think we've got to prepare for is um, a lot of, uh, you know, panic and a lot of uh, fear. So how are we going to model that sense of, of rootedness at the same time as that sense of vision? And I love the butterfly image, it's my favorite. But I think uh, you know, you, you've mentioned something that's really important there that, you know, we've got, we're on a planet of seven and a half billion people and at, at no other time have we had so many people and different levels of their um, consciousness development and therefore their understanding, uh, uh, their understanding of the crisis that we're in. So it, I, I think one of the things that we have to try to work out as people who are interested and active in system change is where we focus our efforts. Um, I, you know, I'll just give a quick example of a great organization in London called Rebel Wisdom. Um, which is gathering conversations and community. Um, it's not exclusively for men, but it is quite male. And they're 
to, to my understanding, very, very focused on gathering the advertising, the marketing, the, um, you know, uh, very interested and intellectual male community together to help them make a shift specifically from what uh, Fred Lalou or um, whatever label you put in it would call orange or command control thinking to into that more collective and group oriented, uh, familial oriented mindset and view of the world. So I think we also have to choose, uh, that's an important part of regenerative leadership, where we want to act and what group of people we're capable of holding space for to make the next step forward in their own um, personal development and evolution. Hopefully that makes sense. Um, but I'm taking up the airtime and I'm supposed to be the host. So I'm going to ask um, Anna Lois if you would like to uh, kind of add something to that. Yeah, create the ecosystem. This is what I see in, in, a, in a, little, a lot of our partners and communities is that what we are doing right now to deepen that collaboration and therefore have preparedness is we're starting to map out as an ecosystem, what are we each bringing to that process? And, and, and that requires specific collaborative conversations to actually ask, you know, what have you been doing? What are your projects? Where are your initiatives? Where do you want to be going? What are your skills? And we're actually starting to now map that out uh, as if that is one larger body. And if as an ecosystem of different partners of our community, uh, now if we have a call of action or a request, how can we as an ecosystem again respond to that? And at the same time, creating what we call evolutionary learning capacity among us, so that we actually create spaces, time, uh, and online meetings to, to make sure we stay in touch with each other, to keep learning from each other, um, so to have these generative conversations really by design. So it's, it's, it's a different design principle and practice for how we collaborate and also respond to requests uh, for call of actions. And Anna, did you want to? Oh, can you hear me, Anna? No, Anna, you're un you're you're still muted. Oh, there you go. <laughs> you're back with us. There was an off, off noise. Um, yes, I think the challenge. I keep coming back to this notion of of coming home. It just keeps coming through my head. Coming back to place. Um, we are all connected globally, which is fantastic. Um, so one can access, you know, people from anywhere in, in, when you need need to, and having some way of helping us find the people that we need for a particular situation is is, is really going to be important. Um, but I'm worried, really. Uh, maybe I'm showing my age with technology because it's never been a problem before. Um, is that uh, it, it? It can just spread our attention, and when we're communicating this that this way is fantastic. But the real communication takes place when we're, um, we're with each other in body and in heart and, and so on. Um, and, and I think when we're back in place, Mother Nature really has a chance to work her magic through us. I can't, I can't give you any scientific evidence for that. <laughs> I just feel that perhaps we're being asked to come back because that's where, we, where it becomes real. You know, when you're in, a, like Isabel, I'm sure this is, you're nodding your head, I think. 
Um, this is what you know. I, I find is so inspiring about the work that's going on in Devon. It's all done by people in community. You know. Um, uh, so anyway, I won't add to that. I think I've made my point. Yeah. Okay. So we have a couple of questions. I I work a great deal with generativity and creativity, and have published in that arena, um, especially creativity for women. And I'm wondering if if you would share some thoughts about the concept of generativity related to the living system and how it plays from your perspectives and creativity with the work. All of this is creative, obviously, but any anything specific that any of you feel um, could be shared, I would really appreciate that. When I asked my husband years ago to uh, for, for ideas about how to explain life, you know, that there's, there's aliveness and it, it was a struggle for people to understand what I was talking about. And, and his answer very flippantly was, well, it's the difference between you and your car. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's kind of brilliant, you know, <laughs> and easy because my car does share certain characteristics with me. It has individual parts. They're in relationship with me and with each other and with the road as the parts of me are. Uh, and they come together to form a new whole, a new level of existence that has new emergent capabilities to move me around town that they don't have separately. And we find that with living systems as well, that the parts come together in wholeness. And, and then we have the, the magic of emergent capabilities and characteristics. But what my car can't do is uh, come up with a completely new car, generate a completely new car, or regenerate itself, heal itself, or respond to completely unforeseen circumstances and adapt. It can't be my friend. It can't uh, <laughs> do all of the things that that something that's alive can do. And so there's this preciousness that we find in living systems that is the, the generative capacity and the regenerative capacity that we find uh, in all living systems, and that's what we're after, that creative capacity to uh, bring something unforeseen into being, something that has never existed before by the combination of, of previously existent parts. And I'm, I'm fascinated by the connection between generativity and generosity. You know, that there's, there's sort of a common root to the, to the words and, and maybe a common... Um, intention as well. There's something about generosity that seems to be necessary in our approach to a system. And that brings me back to the idea of the, the hearth and the home. The fire of transformation has to exist within that um, generous space of the home, you know? And so as Isabel works to help people connect with place, as Anna works to help people reconnect with place, it seems that that's an important part of preparing ourselves for the transformation that's needed to, to root ourselves in place and in home and in acceptance in, in a generous um, stance so that we can move into the transformation together. I, I, I think that's, that's so beautiful. I'm kind of feeling the need for tissue. Um, <laughs> and I haven't got the tissue. Elsie did that. Was that, was that, was that, helpful for your oh, it's question. very helpful it's all of this is speaking to my heart uh, thank you thank you very much I'm, it's my connection is very very strong to what to what you're saying i was just curious because the words had not been used much during the the dialogue so i appreciate that thank you so much 
I, I think we probably, you know, I've just suddenly felt that we need a whole new conversation on generosity, but we won't go there now. Um, so as we have one more question, I think um, from Daniel, thank you very much Elsie, for joining us. Hi, uh, first, thank you, Jenny, for organizing this. This has been an absolute pleasure to hear all these wise women share. Um, and yeah, it was just a wonderful evening. Thank, thank you to everyone. And in, in many ways, Anna has kind of spoken to my question in her last comment, which is that from personal experience, but also caring about how to make positive change and best serve, I'm wondering where to put the energy between the local, the bioregional, and the global, this kind of global scale-linking way of working. And when Anna said that, how much do peer learning networks between bioregions in place who want to create their wonderful bioregional transformation actually serve if I lose three, three hours every Thursday afternoon listening to how it's going in Bogota or in Maine or, or in Costa Rica when I have my hands full carefully listening and being with the place I'm in in order to serve that place and that region. So, so um, everybody's help on how to dance between those scales. Um, thank you. Um, well, uh, Daniel, this is Isabel, and I'm very happy to answer that because I find myself in completely the same predicament. And uh, it is about capacity and time. I'm very curious about what's happening on the other side of the world. I'm very curious about the power of networks to leverage resource and, and support and collegiality and all of that. But I'm absolutely certain that change can only happen right here, right now, in this place. And this is where I need to put my energy. So I'm currently feeling quite torn between going to Mexico or Costa Rica or wherever to be part of those networks and being here. So I hear you and I think it's, it's a dilemma, which is not easy to answer, but I hear you. I, I think there's something in there for me and Daniel, you'll know I've struggled with this. I think we've all struggled with this because I think it's part of the process um, that, that we have to go through that in the same time that there is a space for conversation around radical generosity, there's a space for a conversation about um, radical focus. Um, but I think you can only arrive at radical focus and I haven't got there yet, but I'm much closer than I was five years ago. Um, which is not very speedy, I realize that that you you can you can arrive at through this process of personal development, you do suddenly arrive at where your curiosity, which has become unbounded with a desire to know everything before you feel that you can act on anything, um, you get to a point where your capacity for more knowledge, is so limited that you begin to slowly rein in, rein in, rein in, rein in. Um, and, you, and that process of reining in has been very um, linked to place for me. That's what I could contribute. Who else would like to put something in there? Yeah, the quality of presence and focus. So instead of it being either or, um, it's and, and as long as it doesn't sacrifice the quality of presence and focus in both places, both virtually online as well as within, but it starts within yourself. So 
you know, it's your own carrying capacity, your own little Mother Earth. <laughs> It starts right here. So what's your carrying capacity? Yeah. Um, and knowing when you overextend and how do you how do you regenerate uh, yourself? Yeah, so starting right there, your own planetary boundaries and, <laughs> and Yeah, and having having thresholds and limitations yeah. for, for for yourself, just as exactly. you know, we need to to bring the planet back into balance so in many ways we are all a donut but that is again yet another conversation Daniel was that helpful at all I know we haven't gone to everybody yeah wonderful thanks so much okay well we have gone five minutes past the hour and I'm always very mindful that people give up their time to come and listen to us and you have all given up your time to come and speak and you know I desperately just want to carry on this conversation so um, perhaps we will reconvene sometime in the future um, uh, and in the not too distant future I hope um, but for today thank you so much to all of my special guest speakers Anna and Lois um, Isabel and Michelle, thank you all so much for giving up your time to join me. Um, I'd like to try to summarize our conversation, but I think it would take me half an hour to do it. Um, so I'm going to keep my fingers crossed that Mara does her normal marvelous job of getting the recording out for us um, so that we can all spend some time going through one of the richest conversations I think I've ever had on Connectal. Um, thank you everybody who has joined us um, and I hope that you will join us for another conversation on Connectal in the not too distant future. Thank you very much everyone.